Hello again, and welcome to another episode of Human Rights Magazine. Xinjiang, a dry, mostly desert region in the northwest of China, is home to 12 million Uyghur people, one million of whom have been imprisoned in indoctrination camps, where there are reports of widespread torture and sexual abuse. The Chinese government is accused of trying to eradicate the Uyghur culture and that of other ethnic minorities in the region. In this episode of Human Rights Magazine. Rachel Ernest Cohen explores what has been happening and why. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Upstream Journal's podcast channel, Human Rights Magazine. My name is Rachel Ernest Cohen, and today we are going to be discussing the current situation involving the Uyghur population in China's Xinjiang Province. Weighing in are two experts on the topic. First up, we have Dr. Darren Byler, a postdoctoral researcher in the China Made Project at the University of Colorado Boulder. His research focuses on Uyghur dispossession, infrastructural power, and terror capitalism in the city of Urumqi, the capital of Chinese Central Asia. He has also provided expert testimony on Uyghur human rights issues before the Canadian House of Commons, and he writes a regular column on these issues for SubChina. Secondly, we welcome Ms. Julie Millsap, who is the Director of Public Affairs and Advocacy with Campaign for Uyghurs in San Antonio, Texas. Campaign for Uyghurs works to promote and advocate for the human rights and democratic freedoms for the Uyghurs and other Turkic people in East Turkestan. So, what is happening in Xinjiang and why? In some, more than 1 million Muslim Uyghurs have been placed in Chinese detention facilities, which have been euphemistically termed re education facilities. Or vocational education and training centers. Most Uyghurs are Muslim, and the Chinese government considers the Islamic faith and nationalist sentiment to be major obstacles to Uyghur assimilation. Dr. Byler stresses that the camps are indeed prison like confinements. Everyone in Xinjiang, and when I was there in 2018, everyone I was talking to,、um, especially Uyghurs, were referring to them as camps. That's how they're commonly known. Um, everyone knows that they're a kind of carceral space, that they're a space of punishment.、Um, what the government has said very directly in, you know, in documents that they've submitted to the UN is that the people who they've sent to these places are like low level criminals. They're people that haven't risen, their activity has not risen to the level of criminality where they need to be tried、uh, and sent to prison. Um, and so, this is like a, a space that they can go to instead. And it's, and it's something that they should be grateful for that they're not actually being sent to formal prison, they're just being sent to a camp. That's how the government frames it. Now, according to Dr. Byler, these internment camps fall within a highly discriminatory framework of undue criminalization and religious intolerance. This is an extra legal, extrajudicial detention, and that it's explicitly targeting people based on their ethnicity. And their religion. It's a, a form of institutionalized Islamophobia、um, and, and, and really racial profiling or ethno racial profiling.、Um, and so, in that sense, it's quite abhorrent. And what's more, China's detainment of Uyghurs on the basis of suspected radicalization consistently fails to conform to a standard definition of legitimacy. Before any counter terrorist measures can be considered, including mandating people to rehabilitation centers, You must define the basis upon which those people are suspected of carrying out attacks or being radicalized. However, based on the documents that are now available, if we examine the ways in which Chinese authorities are choosing these people, under no standards would they ever meet a bar of legitimacy. 
There is also reason to assume that the internment camps in China are related to the country's current expansionist development projects, including the Belt and Road Initiative. The Belt and Road Initiative, or the BRI, was launched in 2013 with the objective of promoting regional multilateral cooperation in the Eurasian space and advancing China's geopolitical and geostrategic interests. Foreign policy experts assert that Xinjiang does have a significant measure of relevance to the BRI, and that Chinese authorities were really heavily invested in this idea that economic prosperity could foster international security, peace, and exchange. The Xinjiang province represents a key gateway region in the BRI expansion project, and so the threat of a Uyghur separatist uprising generates cause for concern over its smooth implementation. Let's now move on to our next topic of discussion: How and why have various foreign governments reacted to the situation in Xinjiang? Most governments have either released statements condemning China's treatment of its Uyghur minority, passed legislation imposing sanctions on or limiting engagement with Chinese industries, or remained silent. In the United States, in particular, the House of Representatives passed the Uyghur Intervention and Global Humanitarian Unified Response Act by a near unanimous vote. And the bill was ratified by President Donald Trump in June 2020. Ms. Millsap highlights the bipartisan support received by the bill, but also points to some of the broader considerations over its implementation. In terms of how efficient it actually is,、uh, it really depends on the motivation of the current administration and Congress in enforcing it.、Um, So there's a lot of work that needs to be done in in that regard because there's so many stipulations in that bill、uh, and things that we could work off of and really see a lot more done, but、uh, it's not really being enforced as as efficiently as it could be at present. The Weaker Forced Labor Prevention Act is the next step in a series of formal legislation aimed at addressing human rights abuses in Xinjiang. These are targeted at a broad range of actors. Including industries and corporations that rely on forced Uyghur labor for their manufacturing activities. Referring to such companies, Dr. Byler describes some of the potential implications of forced labor acts, such as the one passed in the United States. Some of these sanctions are targeting specific actors,、um, sometimes key leaders, in other cases, specific companies.、Um, and depending on those companies and leaders、uh, and their relationship with international communities. Um, they will have you know, varying degrees of effect. So some corporations that are targeted by these systems are, are really set up to export things elsewhere,、um, and so that means that they could be much more affected than than others.、Uh, a lot of that effect is just going to be in their share price, in the value of the company.、Um, it will mean that they'll need to, you know. Reconfigure their supply chains or who they supply.、Um, I think we'll probably see in the future that 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 work that involves Uyghur labor will probably be be directed more towards the domestic economy in China because they understand that you know people outside of China don't want to buy those products. Perhaps surprisingly, many Muslim majority nations have neglected to address the human rights abuses perpetrated against Uyghurs by the Chinese state. Others have actively blocked attempts to allow independent investigators to assess the situation in Xinjiang. A major explanatory variable here is the fact that so many countries have strong economic ties to China. Referring back to the Belt and Road Initiative, Dr. Byler notes that the construction of physical and digital infrastructure subsidized by China forces many states into a difficult position. I think many leaders are really balancing those economic concerns to with you know. 
the feeling that they need to also stand up for for human rights for their, their muslim brothers um so when we see a lack of response from them or even an endorsement from those nations of what china is doing i think we have to bear that in mind but that's actually a lot of what what's motivating these actions are economic issues we also have to understand that a lot of muslim majority nations are not democracies that there's human rights abuses that happen in those states as well um and you know if 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 they hear from china that the uyghurs are an insurgent group um that's a minority um i think there's a willingness to believe that narrative um and and not really question it similarly many muslim majority states express suspicion vis-a-vis the united states mainly due to the damages they suffered at the hands of the american government throughout the war on terror dr byler argues that for some countries chinese support proves essential there's also i think a tension there be- between the us and china where many nations want to have a counterweight to the sort of power of the united states and they see china as providing that for them they also are suspicious of the us because of the us's role in the war on terror in other muslim majority countries engagement with the uyghur issue in china is limited mainly due to a lack of civic awareness or because the government does not allow for much activism work or transparency there is still a, a large amount of of work to be done in terms of raising civic society awareness in a lot of these countries so civic society is still i would i would say for the most part largely unaware although we've seen a little bit of increased conversation recently um even in in Lebanon uh, this was actually on the news for one of the, the first time a few weeks ago um and and was generating quite a bit of conversation but there's a lot to be done in that area and then and then secondly being that uh, for a lot of these countries they don't per- possess a system of government themselves that allows for a whole lot of of activism work or transparency so this is an obstacle for a lot of the people that maybe are aware to to continue to do efficient work to address um complicity and and the genocide of of these muslim you know brothers and sisters So with all this in mind, how can you take a stand against the human rights abuses perpetrated against Uyghurs? According to Ms. Millsap, raising awareness is one of the easiest and most direct methods of participating in advocacy for Uyghurs. Using social media as a tool is very easy to do. It doesn't take much time. You can share resources from organizations like ours. Um, you know, raising your voice to your elected officials is fairly straightforward. It doesn't have to be very elaborate, but even just sending a letter or making a phone call to say you're concerned about the issue goes a long way. Confronting the issue of forced labor is equally important. According to Ms. Millsap, consumer pressure ought to be widely applied in order to discourage global brands from profiting off of Uyghur slavery. And then beyond that too, I think uh the forced labor issue is actually a huge thing where we need consumer pressure to be applied more widely uh most activist groups have been engaging with these global brands that are profiting off of Uyghur slavery for quite some time now and it it doesn't really go anywhere unless we can also apply a uh, widespread consumer pressure to the brands so consumers need to come forward and say um that you know I don't want any part of of purchasing products that are manufactured um in this manner and what about international solutions Consistent media coverage and continued pushback against propaganda disseminated by the Chinese government are absolutely crucial. I think a real key to changing the situation is for the general public in China to really begin to shift their view on what's happening there, to begin to push back against the government narrative, 
um, to begin to see through sort of the Islamophobic rhetoric around terrorism, um, to understand the costs, kind of the moral costs and the, uh, the sort of the, the kinds of legitimacy problems that the, U that the Chinese government will have, that the Chinese nation will have. Both Dr. Byler and Ms. Millsap agree that boycotting the 2022 Beijing Winter Olympics bears the potential to send a powerful message to the general public. There's been the, the resolution regarding the Olympics, uh, moving the Olympics or choosing to diplomatically boycott if they're not moved. Uh, we're very much in support of that. It's really quite preposterous that um, a regime that's committing active genocide is, is hosting the Olympics for the second time. Hopefully, continued international pressure and the withdrawal of international investments will provide enough incentive for the Chinese government to at the very least downsize their internment operations. Similarly, Ms. Millsap sees diplomatic and economic pressures as one of the only ways to move forward. I think continuing to apply sanctions, continuing to seek uh, to, to um, use economic methods, that's the only language the CCP speaks. They don't have a moral bottom line. If you're expecting them to act as a rational actor, historically that's never happened. Um, it's not going to. Uh, only money <laughs> works in this instance. Um, and um, so we have to keep using that. We ha have to keep using the language that they can understand um, um, to, to put that kind of pressure on them, if that makes sense. So that's all we have to cover today on this episode about the current situation in Xinjiang involving China's Muslim Uyghur minority. I invite you to take a look at Campaign for Uyghurs' website to keep up with their work at campaignforuyghurs.org, as well as Dr. Byler's work at SubChina, which you can find at subchina.com slash author slash Darren Byler. Thank you for your time, and I hope you'll take this opportunity to raise awareness about Uyghurs in China. Bye now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Human Rights Magazine. The podcast is brought to you by the Upstream Journal. I invite you to consider supporting the program and the magazine with a contribution through PayPal as you explore other episodes.